Support for this program is provided by Chevron. So, my family officially doesn't fit into our little compact car anymore, and we're in the market for a small SUV. A Honda CRV would do the trick. The power of dreams. But gosh, with tax credits and other incentives aimed at promoting electric vehicles. It starts with a Y. <laughs> Ends with a Y. And that's Y in the middle. Bring <laughs> out the Model Y. Maybe a Tesla Model Y could be within reach. How cool would that be? Tesla will be on Mars in 10 years. Yeah. Well, not cool at all if you're Honda, I'd think. The company might even be motivated to fight for a policy that would give them a more level playing field when it comes to price. Turns out, a very similar fight has been playing out at FERC as gas power plant owners have sought to remain competitive in states with incentive programs that favor solar, wind, and nuclear energy. This is Politico Energy. I'm Annie Snyder, and today, the non-ruling at FERC that undoes a controversial Trump-era policy aimed at propping up gas generation against cheaper, clean energy. It's Friday, October 1st. Okay, Catherine, so walk me through what's happening here. Why did FERC decide that renewables had to get a markup in the capacity markets? Yes. So under the Trump administration, uh, when we had a 3-2 Republican majority at FERC, the commission came to a decision in favor of gas generators who had essentially argued that because of some states' renewable energy goals and because of the subsidies that came out of that, that their generators, their gas generators, they were not as competitive as these renewable resources anymore. And that was creating a lot of headaches for these companies. My name is Catherine Morehouse, and I'm the FERC reporter at Politico. So FERC decided to go in and say, okay, we're actually going to raise the price of these renewable resources within this PJM market that includes states from Illinois to to New Jersey. So it's a really, it's a big market. So I understand why under the Trump administration, FERC might have been inclined to endorse this policy. But I would think that now that we've got Richard Glick at the helm, the Biden administration would be pushing for a different decision. What, What happened here? It's interesting because this policy was so unpopular that you had states actually threatening to leave PJM altogether. And that could have, you know, cost members within PJM a lot of money. So I think the political reality became very apparent. So PJM filed a replacement proposal. And that's been kind of the new debate at FERC is whether this replacement proposal is something that that would make more sense. And how how different is this replacement proposal from the original? It's really different. It, it tries to allow states to still be able to pursue their policies. It doesn't assume that every, uh, you know, state subsidized resource would be subject to this price raise. Um, so it basically kind of eliminates all of the concerns that states and that the renewable energy industry at large really had. So are the states that were concerned about the original proposal satisfied with this new one? The states that were upset with this proposal are are satisfied. So so states like Illinois, Maryland, and New Jersey, those were some of the most vocal opponents of this proposal. Other states, Ohio and I believe Pennsylvania, are actually they they liked this proposal and they're actually um, kind of in the opposite camp. It seems like you can't please everyone. So how big of a surprise was FERC's action on this? Or I guess inaction? It was a big surprise. So FERC last night had a deadline to act on this proposal from PJM. 
folks were waiting and waiting. And then finally a decision was filed and the the decision read that there was no decision, uh, that there was a two to two deadlock. And it seems like the consensus is that, you know, the Republicans voted against, the Democrats voted for it. And it was really surprising to folks that Commissioner Mark Christie in particular would have voted against this proposal. He was a former state regulator and has been a really big proponent of states' rights and has been critical in some ways of of the MOPR policy. So the MOPR, as the controversial rule was known, is effectively dead. But at the same time, the path forward in the courts is a bit murky and something I'm still trying to untangle, honestly. Of course, the whole reason that FERC is deadlocked is because we're at a 2-2 balance on the commission. President Biden has nominated Willie Phillips to be the fifth commissioner. That would be the third Democratic vote. What happens if he gets confirmed? Is this something that FERC could revisit? Yeah, potentially. So there is some chance that Willie Phillips may have to recuse himself on this because D.C. is actually also in the PGM interconnection. And he was and is the the head of the D.C. Public Service Commission, which was a party in this case. But there's a chance he might not have to recuse himself. And so in that case, then, you know, FERC has a few potential paths forward, including issuing a formal order on this um, if it's challenged and they, they feel they have to do that. And before we go... On Wednesday, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service officially declared 22 species extinct. That includes the ivory-billed woodpecker, who made this thump and horn-like sound. That clip in particular that you just heard was captured about 90 years ago. It turns out looking for footage of this bird online today is a bit like Googling Bigfoot. The ivory-billed woodpecker, a bird thought to have been extinct. Just full of unsuccessful expeditions and half-second-long, ultra-slow-mo videos of alleged sightings. It's flying away now. See? Also on that sad list, the Bachman's Warbler. That little yellow guy was a southern wanderer that loved to hang out around cane thickets in the Midwest, the South, and sometimes even Cuba if the weather was right. On Google, you're almost more likely to find pictures and videos of rows of dead little birds than of them in the wild. And looking through those, I almost expect them to get up and start chirping. Only to realize that that particular voice is no longer part of nature's song. Now here's one more. That's the kawaii o, a small blackbird native to Hawaii. Footage of this bird is a lot more recent. In fact, the one you're hearing was recorded somewhere in the 1970s. That clip, according to scientists, was a male, and the song was a mating call. Unfortunately for him and for us, by the time he was chirping in this recording, all of the potential female partners were gone. Now these were only the birds, but the list of extinctions also includes fish and mussels. And that's just what was classified as extinct this year. In places like Hawaii or Guam, where multiple factors, including climate change, are deeply and quickly changing the ecosystem, Many, many birds, mussels, fish, and plants are feared or suspected to be extinct as well. But the official determination isn't made until the searches are complete. Remember to head to politico.com slash podsurvey and tell us what you think about Politico's shows. If you want to know even more about my car hunting expedition, 
or if you want us to take more or less time of your day to talk about energy policy, let us know. So one more time, politico.com slash podsurvey. That's a regular politico.com site, then put a slash and P-O-D survey. Carlos Prieto is our producer. Raghu Manavalan is our senior editor of audio. Our senior producer is Jenny Ament. Irene Noguchi is Politico Audio's executive producer. Our editors are Matt Daly and Gloria Gonzalez. I'm Annie Snyder, and I'll see you on Monday. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Did you know that Chevron supports the ambitions of the Paris Agreement? In fact, they've even tied their executives' compensation to lowering the carbon emissions intensity of their operations. Because it's only human to help power a brighter future.